G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. And it was exactly one year ago we were headed out to vote at the polling booth for the 2019 federal election. It was the 18th of May last year when voters on the left experienced utter dejection of losing what seemed to be the unlosable election. Voters on the conservative side, when all seemed lost, could hardly believe the poll numbers as they began to roll in against what all of the predictions signalled and the Morrison government swept to an unlikely victory. Well, today some reflection on what Christians felt was in fact a miracle victory. Given the policy positions on the Labour-Greens left, which signalled really dark days for Christians and Christian freedoms. We're reflecting on that outcome today and the context of where we may be today in the battle for religious freedom. And want to welcome our special guest, Damien Wilde, who leads the Australian Family Coalition, defending the family, promoting a society grounded on Christian values and to safeguard the basic freedoms that are under threat today. Now, Damien was at the forefront of the marriage debate back in November 2017 and has been an outstanding advocate for the family and for Christian values. And Damien's joining us. Damien, welcome along to 2020. G'day, Neil. How are you? I'm really well, Damien. Uh, Great to talk to you on what is a significant anniversary today, a one-year anniversary, a surprise election of the Morrison government. And I'm asking our listeners today to respond to a Facebook poll. And, uh, you know, they can respond any way they want to, but I'm asking them if it was a miracle. And I wonder whether, if we get our conversation underway here, and uh, I reflect with you that uh, early running in the poll suggests 82% of our listeners say yes, uh, it was a miracle that the Morrison government was elected. 18% are saying no. I wonder whether you've got your own thoughts on that as we get things underway, Damien. <laughs> well, it's a good question, Neil. I mean, I I think the word miracle was used by Scott Morrison himself um, straight after the election. Um, I would like to think there was at least some divine intervention in the outcome, um, but of course there are also some very human elements that went into that result. Um, it, I think it was certainly a very surprising result for many. Um, so you know, it's not uh, unrealistic to perhaps you know see some some divine outcomes in it. Um, some people at the time, you know, the very next day at church, I had people say to me that rather than a miracle, they felt that perhaps Australia had dodged a bullet. Um, you know, not to say that the outcome is perfect or that everything the Morrison government has ever done before or since is perfect, but that certainly uh, it was the sort of outcome we needed at that time to try and have uh, some sort of window of opportunity for the issues that we, we really care about as Christians. Interesting if we were to unpack some sort of definition around what a miracle actually is, because uh, there was, as you say, and the Prime Minister drew attention to that word himself, Uh, The idea of a divine intervention, uh, how much of that is like a bolt of lightning that comes out of the blue, 
or what of that is all about the preparation by believers to create a values environment so that you can have a outcome which may more closely reflect the ideas of a Christian values ethos. There's something pretty significant in all of that and take a fair bit to unpack, but, but this idea of preparation by believers, I've never seen the church raise to such a level and such a profile and such an outspokenness than what I can recall in the lead up to that 2019 election. And and your organisation was just one of many, but yours was a very, very prominent one. Of course, the Australian Family Coalition, but there were lots of organisations arguing for similar positions, Damien. Oh, yes. And then, you know, I'd love to think that our organisation alone could win an election, but obviously, as you say, we're just one of many. Um, but what we had to do, I think, was importantly to guide our own people and others of goodwill through that process. You know, it's a difficult thing, I think, for organisations and I dare, I dare say for the church to uh, to point people in a political direction. Um, it's never been the position, say, of the church to say you should vote for this party or that party, nor should it be. But when it comes to a point where Christians and, and people of goodwill need to look at what's on offer. Uh, and sometimes be a little bit more forthright in uh, in their guidance to people. Because really, I think that Christian voters last year, a year ago today, were faced with a very stark decision. Um, they didn't necessarily have to make their decision based on their party preference or even the personalities on offer. But at the end of the day, you had some very uh, distinct differences in the policies that were on, on offer. And I think people responded accordingly. Well, there were distinct differences, and I wonder whether we might even uh, talk about some of those differences. And uh, I understand, uh, you know, in all of the lead up there, there was there was so many issues. It wasn't hard for Christians uh, to be able to actually apply a Christian conscience to the policies that were at hand, because there was a very big discrepancy between what was on offer from the left side under Labor to the conservative side under the uh, the Liberal National Coalition. Uh, Labor's mm. policy on religion was a policy for a, really an aggressive secular society and uh, it was very, very different and much more uh, hardcore uh, in that leftist sense than what we've ever seen before, I suspect, in Australia. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, Labor had made a increasingly clear that <clears throat> uh, should it win the election that any prospect of having any sort of meaningful protections for religious and other freedoms, were, they were just out the window. That was not even going to be within the realms of possibility. Um, people who had done the hard yards in looking through the Labor national platform point to the dozens, I think possibly scores of occasions where LGBT and rainbow and transgender references were made, uh, rights and protections and um, the way they would further that agenda. And yet there was basically nothing about freedom, about religious freedom, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of association, parental rights. These sorts of things were just uh, a non-starter for them. So the, the, the choice there was incredibly stark in a way that I don't think we'd ever seen before. And let's just talk here for a moment because I know that Christian denominations, that Christian pastors, priests, religious leaders have a tendency not to take partisan sides in the lead up to an election. And uh, there is, and that was still the case, I guess, in the lead up to the 2019 election. But 
uh, it was increasingly difficult for anyone in any sort of Christian commentary not to take the sides of the conservatives because the conservatives were the only ones who were looking to preserve any level of Christian religious freedoms. Uh, that really did actually uh, set the cat amongst the pigeons, made us all want to make a choice. Uh, sometimes we like to sit on the fence when we're a Christian commentator, but we really couldn't sit on a fence then. You really had to speak up or, or, or all would be lost. Oh, absolutely. And there are other aspects at play that perhaps with the passage of time, the the bushfires, coronavirus and everything else, we actually have to remind ourselves that there were some issues at play last year at risk of falling through the cracks now. One of these, for example, uh, was the fact that Labor was threatening coercion over states and territories to further liberalise their abortion laws. They would have done this by uh, financial means. Um, So, you know, we're at risk of forgetting these things if we don't remind ourselves. Um, Likewise, as I mentioned before, the continuation of the the rainbow agenda, quite separately from the question of um, religious freedoms, because, you know, had Labor come to power last year, I have no doubt that we would have seen uh, a resurgence of safe schools and similar sort of programs throughout the country with the sort of funding that we could only you know, be be horrified at. So all of these sorts of things, we're at risk of forgetting if we don't remind ourselves that they were big issues last year. Uh, And that's why a conversation like this today perhaps is very important, Uh, not just an entertaining conversation, uh, but one that actually takes us into where our Christian values lie. And I think taking encouragement that when you do stand for your Christian values, that when you do cast a vote according to your Christian conscience, uh, not just according to who has the glitziest-looking ad campaign uh, marketing their brand, but actually if you apply some wisdom of God to the way you vote, uh, then you can actually get some sort of sanity into an election result. Uh, that is a, that's significant. There's, there was a whole lot of things, and you've mentioned uh, the coercion over states and territories that would have come on the abortion issues because the mm. federal labour plan was for funding of abortions in public hospitals. And mm. uh, there was... As you say, when you when you use the word coercion, this was a way that a uh, very socialist-oriented government was going to put pressure on the states to comply with their socialist ideas. Mm, mm, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and you know, we need to uh, be vigilant lest um, politicians try it on again. Frankly, I mean, the electoral cycle passes quite quickly. Uh, we're already one third through if it runs to its full length. Um, just like I heard you mention on the tail end of the segment before, there are always state and territory elections coming up with similar issues come to play. Um, so we need to be vigilant and, and let our, our politicians know that we're watching. In fact, part of the conversation earlier, I'm not sure you heard all of the conversation with Martin Isles, but of course we were talking about the fact that the Queensland Parliament is back today and Mm -hmm. uh, that's the lead-up time now that we're into uh, ahead of a November Queensland state election and the idea that there would be sneaking through issues around euthanasia and uh, around conversion therapy uh, before the election rolls around. So these issues are very, very uh, much still in play as you say it's not just a federal election issue but these things go into the state elections as well and they tend to be Pandora's box unfortunately these sorts of social issues one thing leads to another and it's very hard to put it back in the box once it's been opened um, I know Queensland has its own challenges of course being a, a unicameral parliament you know there is no upper house to try and block any of these measures 
So these next few months are incredibly important uh, to try and hold the line on some of these key uh, family and faith issues ahead of the election. Uh, I did want to raise too, there was something that was going on parallel to the election one year ago, and that was, of course, uh, Israel Folau and the Mm. ongoing uh, circus, you could call it, uh, over him posting a biblical verse uh, as a a tweet, and uh, the whole, it seemed to be the whole of the nation, was captivated by Israel Folau. And and some people might even argue that uh, a part of a miracle process was the fact that people were alerted to the threat to religious freedoms that came with the Israel Folau uh, sacking. Uh, What were your thoughts around the fact that that was running parallel to the uh, to the election campaigns? Well, I think it was hugely important, Neil, I really do. I think that, you know, at a very human level, uh, the sort of factors I mentioned earlier, people are very quick to try and find a, a reason for the outcome. They're very keen to try and look at the factors. And I've heard everything from the Adani mine to this and that mentioned. But really, I think the Prime Minister hit the nail on the head when he talked about quiet Australians. He's, he's used that term a few times. And I think... The quiet Australians were really roused by the treatment of Israel Folau. Um, the fact that you know a bloke wasn't free to speak his mind in his own time on social media, paraphrasing a Bible verse, that just grated with people. Even people not necessarily of faith, or even people, faith or not, who disagreed with him, or perhaps thought it was imprudent to share things the way he did. The treatment he received was just appalling. And I think the vast numbers with which people got behind him um, I know that, that ACL ran their, their fundraising campaign for him. Uh, the Australian Family Coalition, which I lead, uh, came out of the starting gates with a, a campaign to Israel Folau's employers, basically asking them to, to back off, leave him alone. And in a matter of weeks, more than 25,000 people had contacted them. Um, that's solely through us. I have no idea what sort of numbers obviously um, came from other organisations. I would imagine it, it would have been huge. But if this was just symbolic of the level of concern Uh, and frustration, frankly, that the faith-based community and others of goodwill in Australia, uh, just feeling that they've been sidelined, it's no small wonder that the election result turned out the way it did. How heartened might we be, Damien, and you're leading the Australian Family Coalition, and uh, we know of that success of that campaign of fundraising for Israel Folau and the legal challenge there. How heartened might we be that Australians are prepared to stand up and they are prepared to send a letter or an email or make contact with their MP when they're encouraged to do so. I mean, this is pretty amazing. Some people might have thought that those quiet Australians, all they do is sit around and just uh, take it on the chin. Uh, but what are your thoughts about, uh, about you know, how you might feel about Australians who will ra- rise up uh, when there's a challenge? Australians are fascinating people. They really are. I mean... Most of the time, I think there's almost a feeling of apathy and she'll be right, mate. But when, you know, when things really get to a point and Australians are roused up, uh, it's incredible to see what they can do. It doesn't matter whether it's sport in, in times of war or even pulling together through the current crisis we're seeing at the moment. People's response has, by and large, been wonderful. But I, I think politically and electorally, it's fascinating to see how much of the time... Christians tend to be just happy to let the process go by, uh, to vote at the ballot booth every three or four years. But when when times really get dire and desperate, they will turn out in droves. Um, we saw that during the 2017 marriage campaign. 
where I personally, going around the country, encountered people who'd never been even remotely politically active in their life, but had suddenly found their feet uh, and discovered that this wasn't hard, it was something they could do and they could make a meaningful difference. You know, Meeting ladies, for example, in their 70s who'd been letterboxing in country Tasmania and had never done anything more than you know, fill out their, their ballot form every couple of years. It was just remarkable. And we saw the exact same thing uh, ahead of last year's election. My, my biggest concern is that um, for many people receiving the result that they wanted will simply uh, go back down tools and let life pass by again because, of course, people have many demands on their time, their family, their employment. But we just need to encourage that sense of civic duty, um, you know, not to, to rest on any laurels or even to imagine the laurels exist, but to see this as a process and an ongoing one that people should always be, be involved in. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us. It is the Monday edition of 2020. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You can join in our conversation. You might have a thought on our Facebook question today too. On the one-year anniversary of the surprise election of the Morrison government, was it a miracle? Uh, You can uh, respond at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Damien Wilde is our guest. He leads the Australian Family Coalition. Damien, let's take a call or two. Let's hear first of all from Anne in Labrador. Hi Anne, welcome. Welcome, nice to meet you again, nice to hear you again. Uh, Listen, I don't think it was a miracle but I think God had plan and purpose and he knew exactly the right person to put in at the right time into the government. And I think he also helped people to make that decision as well by other Christian people who are on your program and also, you know, through other Christian areas to um, to allow him to become part of this, uh, yeah, and for now as well, yeah. And good thoughts. Uh, a thought or two from Damien on those ideas. Oh, I would simply say that I'm a big believer in providence and I think that Anne's point is really well made. And thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Diane is on the line from Victoria. Hi, Diane. Oh, hello, Neil. It's lovely to speak with you once again. Yes. Uh, well, I do think it's a miracle as far as things go. Miracles are given to us from the Lord. And um, as Anne had just said, yes, uh, he chose him to be the right man for the circumstances that we're going through today. And uh, he's doing a mighty job. And we just uh, continually uplift those in, in, in our governments that uh, they will be given wise wisdom, the wisdom from the Lord that uh, only, uh, it's only God's wisdom that uh, gives us a full reassurance of what, how we choose and, uh, you know, uh, with what's ahead and, and the decisions that have to be made um, because behind every decision there are consequences so they have to be uh, heavenly wisdom from the Lord. Diane, good thoughts. Uh, any thoughts from Damien? I think Diane raises some very good points, particularly um, not just uh, treating this as a sort of footnote of history, election one, that's it, but that need to constantly pray for and support our leaders. Um, I think this is a particularly challenging time, and not just from a health perspective, but particularly uh, in terms of its impact on people's livelihoods. 
So for those in, in positions of authority at the moment, that they make the right decisions um, and you know be supported through this challenging time. Diane, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's take another call. Waza is on the line from Tamworth in New South Wales. Hi, Waza. Uh, good morning, Neil and Damien. Um, I, um, I'm of the opinion that uh, ScoMo getting elected first place was definitely a miracle. Um, to be honest, I hadn't even heard of ScoMo. I didn't know going for a bar of soap until... Uh, until those proceedings started, and that's when I started uh, doing a bit of research, asked Dr. Google, and um, found out things about him. And of course, um, I was all for him from that point on. But the thing that uh, really amazed me was election night. Um, as, as you've already said, uh, we weren't expecting uh, the Libs to get back in or the coalition to get back in. It, it looked like, um, you know, it was done and sorted. And um, right up until nine o'clock that night, um, a very well-known senator was still saying, no, she thought that uh, Labor could still get in. And, uh, you know, she I, I believe that she would have had her finger on the tab, but yet she missed out completely. And, in, uh, you know, and I've talked to different people since, and they've just sort of said, oh, well, people just became disconcerted. They became this, they became that. And I said, well, and I'd tell them, well, how come the polls got it wrong? That's that's what the polls are there for. That's that's their job to find out what people are thinking. So, yeah, everyone just got it. Well, not everyone, but people just got it so wrong. So, if that wasn't a miracle, well, I don't know anything. I think people believed their own narrative and uh, became so convinced of what they were campaigning about that they thought that uh, it was a foregone conclusion. Uh, Damien, your thoughts for Waza. Oh, well, in terms of foregone conclusions and, and pollsters, um, I'm reminded of, I think it was Mark Twain who said lies, damn lies and statistics. Um, we frequently see the pollsters getting it wrong. It doesn't matter whether it was uh, Trump's election. It doesn't matter whether whether it was Brexit. Um, they certainly got it wrong here last year. Um, and not just once, but repeatedly. There were trends done, long-term trends, and I don't think the coalition had won any news poll in a couple of years or something leading up to the election. So it really came as a bolt from the blue, um, which I think probably lends itself back to the question you're asking people, Neil, was this a miracle? Because, you know, whether we believe it was or not, it certainly appeared that way. Um, so, no, incredible to watch. Was well, so from Tamworth, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line remains open, 1-800-316-316. Uh, just uh, only a minute or two in the lead-up to the news here, Damien. I'm not sure where you were on election night last year, uh, but I remember it very distinctly because uh, my daughter was getting married and so I was... Uh, hosting a wedding reception and uh, it's interesting when you're focusing on all the guests and the celebration of a wedding uh, of just how aware you might be of the politically minded in the room who were quietly looking at their phones and uh, and and following the election results and uh, and really uh, there was a cross-section too even at our wedding reception of people who were really dejected about what things were happening and others who were absolutely elated what were you doing on election night Damien? Well, I was actually in a room full of happy people because it was the uh, the after party I'd been invited to of one of the candidates that GetUp had targeted. And uh, this candidate was, I think, quite fearful of, of uh, what they could unleash. They'd followed her around for weeks and yet come election night, um, she was quite soundly returned. And I was celebrating with 
in fact, a lot of Australian Family Coalition supporters I'd never met before who had responded to our call and had been out there for weeks manning pre-poll booths and everything because they just wanted to do their bit. So it was a really good evening. Okay, let me just reflect quickly uh, some thoughts that have come through on Facebook where the numbers are 82% saying yes, they believe it was a miracle. Uh, we've got um, the idea uh, from Faye in Melbourne, couldn't stay on the line, uh, but wanted uh, Damien to know that they support him. Uh, that many believers do, and the quiet majority are standing with him. Yes, the election was miraculous and providential. So uh, there's a, a good uh, thought there for you, Damien. Um, Susan believes the Lord put Scott Morrison in this position for such a time as this. And that's an interesting one to open up because uh, the Prime Minister is a Christian, but that doesn't mean that the government is a Christian government. Just the Prime Minister uh, in, in the, at the helm there. Damien... Just before we take another call, uh, there's a certain sense here uh, in which one of our uh, our listeners who's responded on Facebook has uh, has summed this up, and I'll get your thoughts on it before we take another call. Uh, Beck says, I have to say, how is he supporting our Christian views? And I think she's talking about Scott Morrison, because just in case anyone thinks uh, that we're very one-sided in this conversation, he has pushed hard from even before being Prime Minister, to take away our freedom of choice. Our religious rights are being stripped away, as well as our body autonomy rights. I wonder whether, uh, Damien, you've got any thoughts for uh, for that listener, Beck, who uh, made her comment online. I think the very first point to make is that no politician is perfect. No political party is perfect. They do not possess infallibility. Um, and there are many things that we could, I think, justifiably be unhappy with either side of politics about. Um, I'm not happy with every decision made by the Morrison government. Um, I'm certainly not happy that our freedoms have not been protected in the last year uh, since the election. It's been an awfully long time to get some legislation before us and even uh, seeing what's being presented, I'm not necessarily happy with it. Um, I think the point is well made. And that simply because, uh, as I said earlier in the program, we dodged a bullet, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily 100% happy all the time with what we see. But that just begs the question of, uh, will people get involved in the process? Will we speak up, stand up uh, for the, the causes we believe in? So that's the encouragement I'd, I'd give back to your, your uh, correspondent there. There is a sense, isn't there, that when you're leading a Christian organisation like yours, you're needing to be fair and balanced because some of what you do, Damien, is uh, I guess some people would class that as lobbying and that would be lobbying both sides of politics about what a Christian position might be on many of these issues that we talk about. Oh, certainly. And, you know, Full, full disclosure, I'm happy to state that I've actually been a parliamentary candidate for one side of politics. You can probably imagine which. But I I will speak to anybody who's willing to open their door to me. Um, one of my own fellow churchgoers is a, is a Labor MP. Um, we obviously have a lot more in common than many of the people in our own respective um, you know, leanings and parties. So I think it's incumbent on Christians to uh, not... Uh, not close the door to people to to have that open line to their their local MP, state and federal, and to not always just go there when they want something, but to maintain that that good healthy relationship, so that the door is always open, um, and uh, and they should get a good hearing. 
Let's come back to some of the issues at hand here, 12 months on from that election, and we've been reflecting on the election campaign. Uh, The issue, and we mentioned things like the uh, Labor uh, prospect of coercion over the states and territories on the abortion issue and providing public funding for uh, public hospitals and abortions. Uh, The idea of safe schools that would have been on steroids under a Labor government. Uh, We talked about uh, Israel Folau running parallel and uh, what each side might have thought about uh, the ability for anyone to post a Bible verse online. Let's talk, though, about another big dimension that was really in the Uh, lead-up to the election was in play, and that is significantly around faith-based schools that looked like Mm. losing Mm. all of the freedoms that you have when you have a Christian ethos in a school. Uh, What are your thoughts here around faith-based schools? Neil, that was a huge issue, and it had been for for months leading up. Um, It it almost warrants consideration in its own right, quite separately from all the other sort of talk and, and discussion around religious freedom. Because we are talking about the innate ability of schools and the parents who choose those schools to have children educated in accordance with their beliefs. The manufactured crisis that we saw presented to us, um, which no one could actually prove or verify, namely that there must have been hordes of same-sex attracted children being expelled and turned away from schools, um, all of this was just a a smokescreen to uh, undermine the very rationale for faith-based schools. Because if you're purely after an academic education, any any school would suffice, uh, I've got no doubt. But at the end of the day, parents aren't just looking for a good academic basis for their children. They're looking for those sorts of values to be instilled. Uh, they're looking for um, a school that will be not necessarily taking their own duties as parents away, but at least providing a good sort of cooperative environment uh, for parents to help raise their own children. So to have that... that um, that need so severely undermined uh, and frankly particularly by the Labor side of politics in the lead up to the federal election, I have no doubt that played into the minds of many people. Um, I saw the efforts of Christian Schools Australia, uh, various Catholic dioceses uh, and I commend them. I think they played a very constructive part uh, of the, the political process but that need remains to constantly be vigilant uh, for the rights of faith-based schools because, you know, to be balanced and fair, even the the coalition, when they were looking at how they would respond to this issue, uh, were being a little bit uh, clever, uh, quote-unquote, in how they were responding. And I think that we need uh, an assurance from them, and indeed from all political quarters, that parental rights and the rights of faith-based schools um, are paramount and they'll be upheld into the future. And when you mention organisations like Christian Schools Australia or indeed Catholic education in all the states and territories across the nation, when the Labor Party set as policy platform on dismantling the freedoms that there are to be able to function under a Christian ethos, it was a little bit like poking a, you know, a hornet's nest. And the fact that Christian leaders felt so strongly about defending the right of Christian schools to be able to employ Christian staff with their ethos and even down to the idea of being able to uh, have some level of control over what students might say or be allowed to uh, to uh, to uh, talk about uh, or act out in their school classroom. Those sorts of things, uh, it was very surprising to see just the amount of support that came for Christian education. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
and I think you know it paints the contrast between some of the extreme and ridiculous stories. You know, we hear these these trapped up ideas of oh, well, if, if what, what if the gardener's gay? What if the handyman's gay? What right should you have to discriminate against his employment? That's not what it's about at the end of the day. What it was about was the very right of these schools to exist. There's nothing more, nothing less. Because if you take away that ethos, that faith basis for a school, it's just the same as any other school. Its entire rationale is undermined. And if you can dictate what a school will teach and what a school will believe on one issue, you can do it on any issue. Um, so really, it was time for uh, Christian schools to draw that line in the sand. And I think they did that quite successfully. The challenge will be there for them to keep doing it and for parents to support them in that process. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts, Damien, on the Labor Party and the Greens and the way that it was a surprising defeat and, uh, as we're saying, some saying miraculous, over what sort of reforms ought to take place within the left side of politics if they have any hope of being able to be elected once again. Uh, I wonder if you've got any thoughts here, because uh, I suspect while most of the mainstream commentary has not included what Christians might have felt about this, uh, we can certainly point to all of the organisations that worked so hard uh, to create change in the environment in their own electorates. But uh, what are your thoughts on uh, lessons for the left side of politics, uh, given that there is a, a quiet Australia that will speak up? Well, firstly, I, I should point out that I'm, I'm a little bit pessimistic about the, the likelihood of that occurring, but I will try and be as fair as I can. Um, we saw immediately after the election result last year, those who weren't trying to explain the result away as, oh, it was just about the Adani mine, or it was only in this state, or it was only that issue. Those who actually looked at the quiet Australians and tried to drill down a bit, I think were um, much closer to the mark and much more fair in their, their analysis People who were looking at, say, Western Sydney, for example, where traditional Labor voters were switching camps and largely in the same sort of areas as you saw a very uh, prominent no vote in the marriage uh, result in 2017. Labor pollsters and pundits and even MPs who looked at that genuinely and said, we've got an issue, um, they, they hit the nail on the head. But whether Labor can successfully re-engage with the faith-based voter really remains to be seen. Because to date, I'm not sure that it's much more than photo opportunities and chances to sit down with priests, pastors and bishops over a cup of tea. We need to see something meaningful from them. Um, we've been talking this morning, you and I, Neil, about uh, religious freedom protections. Now, I don't pretend that the coalition has necessarily got their draft laws right. But it's still disconcerting to see people on the left of politics say, well, we don't, we don't really need these protections at all, or hedge their bets uh, with a view to perhaps seeing some Christian concern over these these laws as an opportunity for them to say, well, see, the Christians themselves don't even want it. Whereas, and I'm not sure if I'm making myself quite clear here, Neil, their, their rationale for opposing them is completely different. We might be concerned at some of these laws and say, look, they're not good enough. I'm concerned that some of these people use that as an opportunity to uh, shelve something they never wanted in the first place. So what we really need to see from them is some sort of true olive branch. We need to uh, see the, the Labor side of politics re-engage faith-based voters with something meaningful. We really do. We're taking calls. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Bev in Queensland. Hi, Bev. Welcome. Hello, Neil. Hello. Uh, listening, there's so many opinions, so many areas, aren't there, when you get into this subject? There's lots but to I talk about. I just wanted to tell you my uh, my 
thinking on voting last year was that my local Liberal member had voted for same-sex marriage, so I could not ever vote him again, and I voted Clive Palmer. And I'm wondering how much actually Clive uh, influenced the outcome of the election. Well, that's an interesting one. Uh, Damien, your thoughts on perhaps not even just Clive Palmer, but of course uh, Pauline Hanson, and uh, there was a raft of uh, Christian parties, minor parties and micro-parties were also involved in the, the whole process here. What are your thoughts? Well, certainly Clive Palmer was a fascinating one because you know we'd, we'd never really seen, and we may not ever see again, an individual able to mount such a, um, a well-resourced campaign. The irony being, of course, that he failed um, to gain any traction. But I think he certainly took the paint off the Labor Party. And if that was his intention, he succeeded. Um, the question was raised before, though, and a very good one about um, what do I do when you know my local Liberal MP uh, supports issues that I, I don't don't support, I don't agree with. That's a very tricky one, and I've got to say that over the years I've gone and um, received you know some some good advice on this myself because I've found it challenging not just when your local MP, but even a local candidate holds views diametrically opposed to your own. I think it helps in those situations to consider a few different factors. One certainly is to look at the candidates to find out what they believe, where they stand on these issues. The other aspect of it, and I think this was really, really prominent last year at the election, was to look at where the two parties line up. And sometimes... Um, when the parties are just like chalk and cheese on some of these issues as they were. It's not to say, again, that one side's perfect, far from it. But when the choice is quite stark, that can also play into a voting um, um, decision as well, not just the candidate, but what the, the biggest state of, of play is. OK, thank you so much to Bev in Queensland for your insight. 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. Let's hear from Jim in Brisbane. Hi, Jim. Welcome. Oh, hi, guys. Uh, look, thanks for the conversation. Uh, it's very interesting issues raised. Uh, look, just very briefly, um, in the most recent election, I voted uh, ALP, mainly on social justice grounds. But on the issue of religious freedom, I was very uneasy. Uh, and I think you, you guys have hit it on the head. I think um, uh, the ALP has to engage with um, uh, people of faith. Um, it was interesting that after the election, Chris Bowen, uh, I think, correctly pointed out that this is something that uh, Labor had failed to do. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the task for Labor, I think, to engage with people of faith. Good thoughts there, Jim. Uh, what are you, what's your response, Damien, for Jim? I completely agree, and I think it's a two-way street. Um, we, you know, it was remiss of me before in saying what Labor needs to do to re-engage the faith-based voter, not to reiterate the point that um, there are Christians who vote Labor. There are many people, half the country, who have a Labor MP. Whether they voted for them or not, I think it's incumbent on Christians to reach out, to form those relationships, and just to let them know we're here, we exist. Um, you know, a bit like those bumper stickers, you know, I, I love my ABC and I vote. It, it's just like that for Christians, really, to let them know we are here, we, we do matter, we have a vote, and these are the issues we care about. It's a gentle and constructive thing that we can do over the next two years before the next election because whatever our party of choice, and it might not be the two majors, it could be any one of the, the minor parties you mentioned before, Neil, um, Labor will come to, to government once again. Um, that's the nature of the two-party system. It tends to change before too long. 
So we need to ensure as best as we can that they're attuned to, to where we're at when they, when they do return to power. Thanks so much to Jim for your insight. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. And there's a, there's a good project for someone there. Uh, I'm a Christian and I vote. Uh, someone ought to come up with a bumper sticker like that and get that widely distributed. I think uh, what a great idea. Let's hear from John. John, welcome along. Hello, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm here. John, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't know what they're on about, these people, honestly. The one thing that Labor Party lost the election uh, last year was franking credits. Uh, okay. As soon as they said they were going to take franking credits off the board and we wouldn't get any franking credits and there's hundreds of thousands of self-funded retirees out there immediately who heard that news dumped Labor and voted Liberal. And currently, you've got APRA, A-P-R-A, you know who they are? Do you know who they are? Yep, yep. The Australian Prudential Authority. Yep. So, John, what you're making is a really good point here, uh, that while we've been talking about the social agenda, there are a lot of people who vote on an economic economic agenda here. Uh, Damien, what are your thoughts for John and uh, and, uh, making a good point? I think he's quite right. Um, Franking credits, superannuation, they were big issues. Um, And, you know, while Christians have a diversity of opinion on these sorts of topics, they are important ones because at the end of the day... um, it's, it's not money, it's people's livelihoods. I've been stressing that to people throughout the coronavirus response that a lot of people have said, oh, the government's too focused on the economy, quote-unquote. And I've returned fire to them pretty quickly that the, the economy is not some amorphous, abstract idea. It's people's jobs, it's their livelihoods. It's what keeps the family together and puts uh, food on the table. So when politicians go attacking these sorts of points uh, without due consideration... It's no small wonder that people will respond accordingly. So I I think John's spot on. John, thank you so much for your call and uh, not too much time remaining. We might put a line under any more calls. But interestingly, as... Uh, John mentions uh, there are economic issues that were at play. It's not these social issues. Uh, Everything interacts here, doesn't it? And I can't help but think of what was coming in the lead-up to the election. Of course, uh, you had uh, Jeremy Corbyn making all sorts of ripples in the UK. You had the Hillary Clinton experience in the US ahead of the US election and and the the Democrats. So the, the left were making a lot of... Uh, uh, even outlandish, emboldened, uh, socialist-style campaign uh, measures that were becoming policy. And and it seemed to me, and I'll get your thoughts here, Damien, uh, it seemed to me that Australian uh, left side of politics, Labor and the Greens, were very emboldened by what they saw in the US and the UK, and uh, it didn't play with Australians. No, and and I think, unfortunately, we're still seeing elements of that right now. I mean, uh, the the JobKeeper program, for example, uh, is the single most expensive Australian project in history at $130 billion. Um, JobSeeker is also uh, another element of the government's response at the moment. And what we're seeing from the left of politics is a desire to use this current crisis to um, subversively almost foist a form of socialism on the community. These are desperate emergency measures designed to protect and shore up people's livelihoods. But at the end of the day, we need to try and ensure that our community can get back to uh, dependence on 
the, the little person. Their jobs, their small businesses, the family farms, all these sorts of things. Uh, people might wonder why I'm going down this path uh, when, when I represent the family coalition, but family livelihoods are incredibly important and we need to have that, that return, that, that focus to family, community, churches, uh, and not simply rely on government all the time. Well, these are definitely difficult times we are in at the present time and I suspect are getting worse uh, even as, as you say, the $130 billion uh, rescue package, the stimulus package. And uh, there is a certain sense in which some will say that's a socialist way that our conservative-style government has actually responded to uh, the actual crisis that's happening with the COVID-19 coronavirus. And uh, that's perhaps another conversation for another day. But uh, Damien Wilde, thanks so much for some great insights today as we've been reflecting on the one-year anniversary. And uh, and I've got to say, as the poll on our Facebook has come in, 83% have said yes and 17% no to the question on the one-year anniversary of the surprise election of the Morrison government, was it a miracle? So, and I think we might anticipate that listeners to Christian radio might actually be more comfortable with using the terminology miracle. So 83% saying yes. We think it was a miracle. 17% though, and that's almost one in five, uh, saying no, it wasn't. Damien Wilde, let me just point people to the website uh, for the Australian Family Coalition. It's ostfamily.com.au. Ostfamily.com.au. And no doubt, Damien, uh, just quickly here, uh, you're always uh, looking to find a new friend, a new supporter, uh, whether they're going to pray for the initiatives that you're involved in or whether there's some who can roll up their sleeves and get involved, others who can support financially. You've got something like 50,000 members or supporters right across the nation. Uh, no doubt there's room for one more. Absolutely. Anytime, Neil. And more than welcome anybody who wants to go to the website and sign up to get our free email. And uh, and you'll get that free email. It'll keep you up to date with those campaign initiatives that are being run by the Australian Family Coalition. And as I say, there are a lot of organisations uh, who are uh, now uh, even preparing for various things like in the Queensland, the state of Queensland, there's a state election coming up towards the end of the year. Uh, you're based in Adelaide in South Australia, Damien. Uh, does the Australian Family Coalition have an interest in uh, preparing for any sort of campaign campaign issues around the Queensland election? We take a very keen interest in all states and territories, Neil. Um, we are still a very young organisation. Um, we've been blessed by the fact that in only a few years we've risen to, to include some 50,000 supporters. But uh, as we continue to grow and we have uh, a greater number of people on the ground, uh, we'll continue to get more and more involved in every state and territory. Well, Damien, you've got 50,000 supporters and there's room for 50,000 more. So I'll point people to ostfamily.com.au, ostfamily.com.au. That's the website of the Australian Family Coalition. Great getting your insights. Thanks so much for being with us once again today, Damien. My pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.